Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Changemakers LA podcast presented by Liz Los Angeles. The Changemakers LA podcast is a tribute to the people and the policies that make LA neighborhoods good places to live, work, and play. I'm Shona Sen, Senior Program Officer at the Local Initiative Support Corporation, Los Angeles office. In today's episode, we will talk to our guests about how they are supporting Angelinos in accessing digital literacy and upskilling opportunities through LISC's Financial Opportunity Centers. LISC's Financial Opportunity Centers, or FOCs as we call them, are community partners that provide employment and career counseling, one-on-one financial coaching, low-cost financial products, and income supports counseling free of cost to their neighborhoods and communities. Joining us today, we have... Uh, three wonderful guests, uh, two guests from our FOCs, and one subject matter expert. We have Susie Contreras, uh, who serves as the Community Development Program Director of the Mexican American Opportunity Foundation in Los Angeles, California, one of the country's largest Latino-oriented family services organizations. In this role, she focuses on implementing comprehensive grant-based economic empowerment programs and services that impact low-income families in the East and Southeast region of Los Angeles County. Her key responsibilities include overseeing MAOF, or Mexican American Opportunity Foundations, immigration, financial capability, health education, and outreach programs. Susie enjoys traveling, reading, and listening to podcasts in her free time. Thank you for being with, uh, here with us today, Susie. Next, we have Don Comer, who enjoys working at the intersection of technology, data, and civic engagement. She is the Director of Technology Inclusion for the City of Los Angeles, serving in the Mayor's Office of Budget and Innovation. She works with public-private partners to address issues of digital equity and literacy, broadband adoption, the banking divide, and the information divide. She began working at the City of LA as a Fuse Corps Executive Fellow uh, focused on smart cities after spending 20 plus years as a management consultant with PricewaterhouseCoopers Consulting and IBM. As a management consultant, she led transformational projects for consumer products, technology, and media and entertainment companies. In the public sector, she continues to use technology and data for change with an eye on equity. Lastly, we have Sandra Bonneville with the Central City Neighborhood Partners, a LISC Financial Opportunity Center for the past five years. And Sandra serves as the Financial Empowerment Program Manager. Central City Neighborhood Partners, or CCNP as we uh, like to call the FOC, has been a cornerstone in the community, providing access to free services through a collaborative model and enhancing the quality of life for underserved households throughout the city and county of LA. Focused on the Westlake Pico Union, neighborhoods and communities. In addition, CCNP focuses on ensuring equal access to essential needs services, which includes building financial security through professional and career development, financial education, free tax preparation, and income support. Thank you for being here, Sandra. Uh, thank you all of, uh, all of you for being here with us today. We're excited to learn from you and to talk a little bit about digital literacy and upskilling in LA. So transitioning over to questions, um, LISC Los Angeles has partnered with Microsoft Philanthropies and the MasterCard Impact Fund to launch the Digital Pathways to Careers Initiative. 
Uh, this initiative builds on the LISC FOC model to support career pathways through digital and financial literacy support, employment counseling, income sports counseling, and digital upskilling opportunities. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought the urgency for improved technology access and digital fluency to the forefront. All of the tools and knowledge acquired now will have lasting benefit as digital skills have become crucial for workers and for the nonprofits who provide skills training to them. Microsoft Philanthropies and MasterCard uh, Impact Fund's investment in the digital literacy and upskilling opportunities will help our FOC community partners adapt to the future of work and support clients in accessing jobs that employ technology in the workplace and beyond. Jurisdictions across the country, like the city of LA, are addressing digital inclusion through infrastructure improvements, uh, broadband adoption, providing programs and services, and lowering barriers to upward mobility. So let's talk about how our guests today are partnering to address digital and financial literacy need uh, in the most uh, impacted communities in LA. So Susie, if it's okay, uh, we'll start with you. Uh, MAOF serves the needs of Latino community of California while preserving a Mexican American culture's pride, values, and heritage. What are some challenges facing your clients' access to digital literacy, and how is MAOF uniquely positioned to address those needs? Yeah. Thank you, Shauna. First and foremost, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this podcast today and share more about uh, our experience. Um, and to answer your questions, it seems like when it comes to using smartphones and tablets, our clients are very comfortable, but they're not very comfortable or familiar when it, when it comes to using a computer. So thank you to LISC and to a sponsorship from Microsoft Grants or Microsoft where we were able to, or MAOF is able to address this challenge by offering digital literacy classes where we teach our community members the basic components of a computer, such as what is the difference between the hardware and software of a computer, where is the power button, and as the classes keep pro progressing, we are also teaching them about Microsoft programs such as PowerPoint and Excel. And through all our through our intake, we are also screening our clients for digital literacy. So if we see that there's a gap or there's a need, we in, we encourage them to enroll in our classes. And um, we also schedule one-on-one -on -one sessions to do um, to teach them how to open up an email or how to create an email or how to download a video platform that you know that's needed in order for them to sometimes enroll or take part of our sessions. Great, thanks so much, Susie. Uh, Dawn, uh, what would you say are some digital inclusion gaps uh, that COVID-19 exposed and how have local leaders responded? Hi, thank you so much. Um, I, I like to say that COVID brought to light many of the gaps in access to technology and information that already existed before the pandem pandemic started. But now it was just a brighter light that was shown on the impact of the divide and the level of the inequities. We all know that our children needed access to the internet for their education, but I think also it was brought to light how we are able to connect in a, in a time where we couldn't go out or maybe we couldn't reach 
the normal places where we would go to gain access to free Wi-Fi. So for example, libraries or coffee shops were then closed at the height of the pandemic and we couldn't access internet in those ways. So the challenge of finding affordable con connectivity, I think also the challenge of finding um, connectivity at speeds that would allow more than one person in a household or let's imagine um, three students, three or more students in a household trying to access one um, hotspot device. Those types of challenges were addressed as well as now we're doing healthcare online. Now, maybe someone who had not applied for a job online before is doing so online and they're doing it at home. And again, unable to go to a library to get assistance in person um, for the literacy component. So I just think it, it brought to bear the importance of literacy. We can provide devices, but we have to also provide the education around how to do, how to use the devices and how to do so in a safe manner. And from the city perspective, we definitely worked in partnerships with community-based organizations to distribute hotspots. We also worked in partnership with community organizations to understand the need in new ways. Thanks so much, Don. Uh, Sandra, uh, navigating systems and accessing digital upskilling opportunities in an ever-changing digital world can be overwhelming, uh, as Susie and Don both pointed out earlier in their responses as well. Uh, what would you say uh, COVID-19 exposed for you guys in terms of accessing services, uh, especially those offered digitally? Um, how has CCNP offered digital literacy and upskilling opportunities? And what have your clients shared about the offerings that you have provided? Well, thanks for that question. Um, and thank you for having me here today. And definitely as both Susie and Don um, mentioned previously, you know, the digital divide really became even more evident. We already knew it was there, but it just came out all at once. So definitely, you know, seeing the communities that we serve struggling just to be able to make ends meet, being able to bring in, you know, some type of income during COVID was even more evident that there was a lack of that assistance there. Um, you know, a lot of our families previous to may have applied for unemployment, but on paper or being able to see a representative from EDD. Um, our families were not even able to apply for food stamps or CalFresh because the DPSS offices were closed. So being able just to access even those online applications, which have been there for years, was something that our communities were not able to. Um, and definitely that's where CCMP really started um, taking a step forward with our community and being able to assist them with applying for benefits. But at the same time, it wasn't like, let's just do this um, for you, but let's teach you how to use it. So it, was, it, it would go back to maybe even just the basics. Do you have an email on your phone where you can receive notices? Um, are you able to access your EDD online? So it, it's not only just doing the application for the fact that they're now gonna receive benefits, but also they're able to, okay, now I know what's the next step I need to do to recertify every two weeks, let's say for unemployment benefits. Um, so it's taking that first step during the pandemic so we were fortunate enough to remain open to the community um, and being able to start teaching them that. 
Um, you know, now as we're getting out of the pandemic, beginning this year, um, CCMP in partnership with LISC and Microsoft, we began our digital literacy um, trainings here, where we're able to teach the basics of, you know, computer literacy, um, being able to open a linked account so customers can go back to applying for jobs, having more linkage to opportunities elsewhere. Um, so we do a nine-week course where we teach them the basics of Microsoft, LinkedIn. Um, you know, some of our customers have never even turned on a computer. So it's even as basic as helping them learn that. Um, a lot of our customers were afraid, you know, if I make a mistake on a computer, what's the next step? Everything's gone. So just getting them out of that fear of, you know, being able to use it. And as Susie mentioned, a lot of our customers are used to using maybe the cell phones for certain things, uh, but a computer is a whole nother world. So just getting them that comfortable, that, that hope. Sometimes it's just bringing back that hope that I can do this. I've had somebody now teach me. Now I have a place where I can practice. As Don mentioned, libraries were closed during COVID. Um, you know, here at CCMP, we try to keep open our, our computer lab so customers are learning it, but then they're also able to practice it. Um, because that's another thing that we saw is the lack of access to computers. Um, we could be teaching all the digital literacy we want, but if a customer doesn't have access to a computer, where will they continue practicing that? So that's definitely something that we're working on within our digital literacy, you know, as part of the FOC, also focusing on finances and how do you get, if you have to purchase a computer, you know, how do you get there financially? How do you save for it so that I'm able to continue my digital literacy journey? Um, and as to what our customers are saying, they're, they're loving the workshop. It's sometimes stressful for some of them, um, but they keep pushing and coming back of the week after week to be able to learn even more. Um, working as an assembler for years now, um, he hadn't finished his high school diploma and didn't have um, any computer skills other than uh, scanning certain items at work. So as he started coming in here, he started talking about now he'll be able to get a promotion. So he'll be able to be more financially secure, um, being able to get that promotion or even being able to look at employment elsewhere. Um, one of the ones that like really touched me was one of our customers. Uh, she's a 61 year old um, cancer survivor. Um, so the chemo left her hands hurting. So she was actually afraid of starting the digital literacy uh, workshops, not because it was gonna be a hard class for her, but she was afraid of being able to keep up due to her, to her health issues. Um, but now, you know, she attended the workshop, she completed it. And a little bit before she completed um, her workshops, her children actually bought her a computer. She didn't have a computer. And now she was so happy when she came in and said, you know, you guys brought back that hope I had in opening my business because now my family's even seeing the emotion that I'm feeling about learning about digital literacy that they purchased me a computer. Now I'm only not only gonna be able to practice more, now she's gonna be able to open her small business, which to me is like, it's amazing. Going through all of, all, all of that hard work and actually coming in every week for her classes. And now she'll be able to open up her own small business. Thanks, Sandra. That's such a beautiful story. I love hearing uh, the testimonials and the actual feedback from clients. I think that speaks such volumes to the impactful work that you both, Susie, and you are doing um, on the ground level uh, directly with individuals and communities across the city. 
Uh, so quickly, we'll just uh, switch over to Don. I have a quick question for you. Um, so your work really focuses on a systems level approach to, to addressing this enormous problem we have here in the city and county and I think nationwide. Uh, you are uh, focused and you have done a lot of work around uh, developing infrastructure at scale uh, over the past couple of years. Um, can you speak a little bit to your experience developing that infrastructure at scale and how community partnership support has helped to achieve your outcomes? Right, great, thank you so much. So uh, definitely on the infrastructure piece, we want to make sure that we are working with partners across both the telecommunications industry as well as this across the city's network to make sure that we can have that accessibility, um, increase the availability of, of low cost internet. So that's something that's a continued effort right now through our Bureau of Street Lighting. Um, They're definitely using, we have some funding that was allocated for digital inclusion efforts. And so our Bureau of Street Lighting is leading the effort to, for community connectivity pilots. Um, we have seen the census tract maps that show where connectivity exists and where it doesn't. And I believe we all on this call definitely know the communities that are impacted. So they're working to develop community connectivity pilots and not just thinking about um, from a home broadband perspective, but if we also look to the future of how we need to be connected for many of the services that we are uh, using across the city, how do we keep our city safe um, in an emergency so from an infrastructure perspective, the, the discussion goes a bit broader because we wanna think about city operations, but we also want to think about what's needed uh, for residents. And, and to your point about partnering with community-based organizations, it's very important because the community-based organizations are a trusted voice. And I'm so happy to be here today with Sandra from CCMP. We haven't met before, but I've been working with CCMP on one of our programs, Angelino Connectivity Trust, which is a partnership with the Mayor's Fund for Los Angeles, the Mayor's Office, and then in, in collaboration with uh, T-Mobile's Project 10 Million to provide 18,000 Wi-Fi hotspots to K through 12 students. So we launched that in 2020. And um, just as Sandra shared today, a lot of the testimonials, we love it when CCMP shares with us all the photos of students who've received the Wi-Fi hotspots through the ACT program. Um, it just lets us know that what we're doing is real and it touches families across the city of LA. So being a trusted voice, um, because sometimes government may not be a trusted voice or someone's had a bad experience. So we want to make sure that we understand what's happening within communities and actually community partners, you know, may have that that voice, that ear um, sooner than we may have it. And so it's really important to make sure that we understand what's really happening and that we're just not designing programs within the halls of the city, um, city offices. And then another program that we worked on with CCMP as well is our Angelino Connect program, which helped to provide relief funding through a fee-free debit card, through our partner, um, Mochafi. So that was addressing unbanked Angelinos. And I would say what we learned from that, even though it was focused on finance um, topic and financial literacy and providing some support via relief funding, 
the 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 way in which residents engage with Angelino Connect is via a mobile device. And so for families who aren't used to doing banking online or who may be unbanked and not have a bank account at all, it might be a little daunting to now use your mobile device to deal with your finances. So the financial, I mean, the digital literacy component impacts every aspect of what we're doing, um, whether it's healthcare, whether it's finance, whether it's looking for a job. So, excuse me, so the impact of working with a trusted voice is so important and we're happy to have those partnerships. And I think that also when it comes to us building out other areas and sharing information about access to low cost internet, it will be the work through outreach with community partners that will help share what the city is doing and how we're trying to make strides as we build out connectivity. Thanks, Don. Uh, what you shared about digital literacy impacting every layer of our lives is, resonates so much. I think that's something that we've all seen, that this is not just about being able to you know, write in Microsoft Word or pr prepare a PowerPoint or be able to open an email. It's everything that we're operating and uh, working with is online now. And that goes banking, education, our schools, accessing income supports, accessing information about disaster preparedness. Um, it, it goes really, really deep and it's all online. And I think sometimes there's an assumption that this is a very accessible way of obtaining information. And I think we've all seen that it's not necessarily the case, especially given the communities and neighborhoods that we work with who have been very intentionally uh, disinvested in, um, have experienced digital redlining, have experienced a lack of access in their own languages in a culturally competent way. Um, so this work is, is so, so important. And I'm so glad that uh, you're focused on, on this space um, on a city and county level. Uh, so I actually have one more uh, question kind of for all of you. So I'd love to hear from all of you. Um, and I'll just quickly uh, set the context, but uh, through the infrastructure, as you all know, through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which was uh, passed earlier this year, the federal government uh, is investing billions of dollars nationwide into addressing broadband and device access, digital literacy, digital upskilling uh, for the future of work, um, and all kinds of other investments uh, in rural areas as well. So we've learned that digital redlining is a big problem for neighborhoods across the country uh, that have been disinvested in for decades. Uh, digital redlining, uh, in case you're not familiar with the term, um, I think all of you are, but I'll, I'll go ahead and share a quick definition. It's uh, when it happens when internet service providers invest less money in low income and marginalized communities. And so just like redlining, the real redlining term that we know of uh, for the past several decades, it's very similar. Um, and it actually ends up impacting the same communities, uh, which, which we see like layer after layer after layer when we see those maps, same communities with less access to healthcare, with less access to education, with less access to schools, um, transit, all of those things. Um, layer up and it ends up being uh, similar communities impacted by all of these, these issues at the same time, including dig uh, digital redlining. So given the communities that you all partner with uh, to provide digital literacy and upskilling services to, uh, what would you like to see the rollout of these investments include uh, so that it is equitable, it's inclusive, uh, and it reaches the people that it needs to be reaching? 
So I'll start with, uh, I'll pass it to, uh, how about Sandra from CCNP, and then we'll go to Susie and then Dawn. Yes, so definitely, you know, the access just to pricing for, let's say, computers, it's, it's, out, it's, it's out of control. Um, and specifically for our families, let's say for our families, a median income in our district is about 17000 a little over $17,000 for a family of four. Um, so when you're thinking about purchasing a computer, even let's say a, a smaller laptop, it's still $200, $300. That's a portion that's going to be lost instead of paying rent. Um, so definitely affordability is one of the things. Um, but I also think it's really that education piece. Um, we can provide our families the computers, but if they don't know how to use them, um, being able to have it is not really going to be as beneficial to our community and our families. Um, so just in general, you know, it's accessibility to the actual products, it, um, internet connection, computers, um, but also just providing them that information, that education and how to use them. So definitely digital literacy um, trainings is something that we would really like to see in general for a lot of our population. And it's not even just our community, just in general, within the whole city and the whole, the whole U.S. really. Thanks, Sandra. Uh, we'll pass it to Susie. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, very similar to my colleague. I mean, I, that we see that um, for our families, purchasing a computer is a big challenge, right? Our, our, our families here, our average income is about 22,000. And so it is, it is challenging for them to, to set aside some funds to be able to purchase these laptops, right? So in conjunction, right, with, with um, digital literacy education, they actually need the product to be able to practice, right? Because if you don't practice, you kind of forget. And, and that's what we're realizing, right? Like if we, if our parents don't have access to, to these, uh, to laptops, to computers, then all this information that we're doing, all this education we're pouring, it's going to go to waste if they don't actually have the tool to work, where to practice. So allowing for some of these funds to go into giving our clients access to, to technology and, um, and also, you know, trainings for the, for community-based organizations that are implementing the work. I don't think none of us, I mean, we have some basic components of, of, of digital literacy, but investing in the training for the individuals that are passing on the information to, to these communities is also, is a, is also essential. So, um, so I think that that would definitely be very beneficial. And of course, engaging community-based organizations where community members go to for these services right because they come to us they don't go to you know to to other locations for these services right they see us as their hope um, for uh, accessing any kind of service so investing in community-based organizations to be able to you know you um to be able to push these funds and to be able to give clients access and educate them is is essential because we are the trusted messengers um, in these communities I so agree with what Sandra and Susie have said, and especially the part about supporting community-based organizations with the outreach dollars. So that is, um, I know that is something that will be possible. Um, I believe there's a, um, I'll have to, I can follow up, but there is, has been discussion about supporting CBOs for outreach um, because we understand that that's important. 
one thing that I, I would like to continue to see is that outreach because there are uh, funds like through the Affordable Connectivity Plan, ACP, which provides a subsidy for low-cost internet. If you're signing up with some partners who have low-cost plans and you sign up for ACP, your internet becomes free. So I think it's about increasing awareness of these programs and doing that with um, the trusted voices of the community-based organizations, but understanding that that is another layer um, of work or outreach from the CBOs who are already you know, tasked in doing so much to serve our communities. So I think that piece, making sure that we don't forget that some extra funding to support those roles is needed. I think also just making sure that we are in line to receive a lot of the support for building out the infrastructure. So the city of LA and other cities within LA County, we've part been participating in LA deal with um, the LA Economic Development Corporation, which is focused on collaborating across the Southern California region with respect to infrastructure and building that out. So making sure that we are in the pipeline for that there was a lot of advocacy that happened um, late last year and earlier this year that allowed the 110 corridor around the city of LA to be part of the build out that's supposed to be happening with the state for infrastructure. So I think just making sure that our voice is heard and that we continue to um, advocate for the city of LA as well as the county because a resident does not necessarily know the boundaries when they're crossing on if the internet's gonna work on this side of the street or the other side of the street. So we have to make sure that our, our voices are heard and that we are part of the conversations of how uh, the build out is done as well as communications about the available programs. And one thing that I will add, while we may feel like we're waiting for those things to happen is please don't forget the public libraries because our LA public library does have a tech to go program where you can loan, um, you can check out, like you would check out a book, a bundle, computer and a hotspot together for a long-term loan. And just like Sandra shared some of the testimonies, um, the library has shared with me testimonies of a patron who, because they were able to have that long-term loan, they were able to gain some skills and apply for a job. And it's stories like that where you know it's making a difference. And so inch by inch, we keep moving. I think the collaboration that we have between the school district, the county, the city, and the state, it takes, um, it takes a full ecosystem of everyone working together to really make a difference and move things along as we look for this funding to come from the federal and state level. What a great way to end. I think that that is it. Um, and, and I also really appreciate, Don, um, all of you, your, your feedback around uh, trades, trainings and, and capacity building for both organizations and individuals. Um, and also the resources that you shared, Don, at the end um, and throughout this pod, uh, podcast, I encourage you all to uh, those of you who are listening uh, to, you know, check out MoCoFi, um, LA Deal, the Tech2Go resource through public libraries. Um, there are so many resources available. And I think sometimes uh, so many that we don't even know about them. And, and knowing about those is, is also a challenge that 
that uh, we we have, but also an opportunity to better serve our communities and neighborhoods, uh, just being able to access those resources and knowing about those resources. Uh, so I thank you all. I thank each of you. I thank you, Don, Susie, Sandra, for joining me in this critical conversation. Uh, your work is essential to ensuring that every Angelino has access to programs and services uh, that can improve their financial and digital literacy. And I look forward to seeing all of your work grow uh, and in scale and also in impact. So this episode of Changemakers LA was made possible by the MasterCard Impact Fund with support from the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth. If you would like to learn more about how we support place-based initiatives for housing and economic development at LISC LA, please visit us online at https www.list.org-los-angeles and follow us on Twitter at list underscore LA. You can find the rest of the series on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to hear more on the conversations about people and places that shape Los Angeles. This podcast was produced in collaboration with Ronell Hampton, founder of Growing Greatness Now. Growing Greatness Now is a consulting firm committed to social and environmental justice.